Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. This is episode 308. I am very excited to have Adam Bellow on the podcast. You may not know Adam personally, but you have probably heard of Breakout EDU, which he is the co-founder of and something that I quickly adopted in my school and love that program. So Adam, welcome to Transformative Principal and thank you for being here. Oh, Jethro, thanks so much for having me and uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for adopting Breakout EDU. That's, uh, yeah. that's always nice to hear. Yeah, well, it uh, it's really cool. And what I ended up doing was uh, setting up a stealthy breakout EDU in the front office that was just sitting there. And then kids had to figure out how to uh, get the clues and where they were in the school. And it wasn't tied to any content or curriculum or anything like that. Oh, it was fun. just a fun little thing for kids to do. And it was really awesome. And everybody asked what it was. And only a few kids took the initiative to actually try to find the clues and solve it. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really, really fun. Yeah. Very cool. So today, however, we're going to be talking about learning with AI, and this is in preparation for your keynote and one of the sessions that you're going to do at FETC here in about a month. And that is, you can register for that FETC.org. And so uh, let's talk a little bit about learning with AI and I want to start talking about what that actually means, because some people think that means that these ed tech companies are going to save us and make teachers obsolete so that we never have to work again. And I don't think <laughs> that that's really the future we want. So talk a little bit about how you see learning with AI in broad strokes first. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that AI, you know, it, it, everyone's definition is so uh, across the board, but but basically kind of the way I see it playing into education is is kind of twofold. One is just smarter information to help build smarter, you know, consumers of of content and knowledge and being able to find things more quickly. And then the other more more complex way of thinking about it is is that metacognitive piece where the technology will kind of be able to interact with us in a way where it's serving our needs. And I think that that's kind of the much more interesting piece is when you start thinking about, well, we have the ability to have these tools in our classroom and, you know, and the tools can be anything from, you know, the, I don't want to trigger anyone's devices, but the device by Amazon uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or Google, or I have to be very careful in my office. I think I have all of them. So uh, I don't want to have a, a symphony of talking, but basically like using those devices to answer questions is such a periphery and then being able to kind of converse and get much deeper into a student's ability to learn and serve information as it's needed. And, you know, the other piece of it is, is having kids program these devices and kind of tap into a, a much deeper level of learning. So, yeah, for sure. So let's start with that first idea of just serving information to kids when they need it, where they need it. We, you know, we definitely experienced that when Google was created and we could now search for just about anything on the Internet. And now. AI and these voice assistants make it so that we can basically do it with our voice instead of having to pull up the 
the browser to do it, which is just an amazing, an amazing thing that you can ask a question and have it answered, you know, almost immediately, which is really powerful. And, you know, part of that is learning how to have that conversation where it's still like, it's not really serving our needs yet, but if we ask the question the right way, then it, then it does give us what we need. What are your thoughts on, on that aspect of, of bringing that into the classroom and, you know, having it there as a constant assistant to be able to answer uh, low level questions? Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it is really helpful to, to a teacher. I know even, you know, I'm not a teacher anymore, but as a parent, I use it in probably the same way I would imagine many schools are using it. And that is to build self-efficacy and reliance uh, on how to find information. So instead of, you know, my kids ask me 10,000 times, what time is it? They could either look at or ask the device. They can set their own timers for, you know, like, oh, you know, today you have 20 minutes of iPad time. Like, you know, what set a timer, like remind yourself. And for no, not out of laziness, but just out of re- able, being able to kind of reallocate some of those cycles and, and resources to the students, you know, things like what's the weather outside, you know, things like, uh, you know, what day is it? How do you spell a word? You know, th- these are all things that my kids use our device for, for simple math to check their math. I mean, I don't let them use it to answer the math, but if they have a question afterwards, like they could certainly double check their work with the device. It's the same as a calculator or looking it up online. And, you know, if you think about putting that in the classroom, um, there's the old classroom adage of like, ask three before me. So the teacher wants you to ask your peers or go look it up somewhere. That is the perfect, you know, iteration on that, right? It's, it's ask, uh, you know, the device before you ask me. I keep on pausing before I say A L E X A, but uh, you know, basically that's that's kind of almost the Kleenex brand, right? And it's amazing that in just five years, I think it's literally in November. It was five years that that tool has been around. It is pretty pervasive. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. A tremendous number of folks, but you know, security concerns aside, and I'm sure we might touch on that later. But you know, this this is something that my uh, tech phobic in-laws have have in their house as their little helper, yeah. and uh, it's it's amazing to see how easy it is to because again, it's voice. It's it's something that we do as a way to to interact all day long, and yeah, I mean, I think putting that in the classroom and letting it handle some of those low level things would really you know, free up some other time or, or just build that agency in that student. Yeah. I think that the, the really powerful piece of that is that when you, when you recognize that somebody who's not tech savvy can adopt this, you know, something like Google glass or, or even smartphones, those took a little bit for people to catch on that they could be used for anybody, you know, and now, you know, our grandparents have, have iPhones and Android devices and can use them proficiently and, and do different things on them. But then, you know, that took a little while to, to get caught up, but it, you're right. The, the Amazon devices, because they've been so cheap and so easy to access and all that, they're like, they're very ubiquitous all over the place already. And so when you think about that, let's talk a little bit about those security and privacy concerns do we need to have privacy concerns about having those in the classrooms? It seems like a one of the things that teachers have always been against is having recording devices in their classrooms unless they're the only ones who are controlling them. And so, you know, having an assistant in there that could, you know, could capture a lot of things that the teacher may not want to have caught or maybe they do want to have caught, I don't know, but what are your thoughts about those privacy and security issues? Yeah, I mean it's hard because I feel like you know my my personal views are obviously coloring some of my my assumptions right. in the classroom. You know, 
I'm sitting talking to you in an office where there's probably 10 different cameras from computers and devices and, sure. you know, speakers that are hearing everything we say. You know, if I pause and think about that, I think, you know, sometimes I'm like, ooh, <laughs> you know, I don't want it to hear <laughs> every everything and every, but in terms of the classroom, you know, that there's been PA systems in classrooms. So in terms of like big brother in the sense of mm-hmm. an administrator listening in, like there were times where I remember, specifically I remember in a classroom where the, the PA would click on and you could hear like breathing at the other end or you would just hear it click on <laughs> crackling once in a while. And it freaked me out. <laughs> but like the reality was, is that, you know, the principal could have come in at any point. And it, you know, it wasn't to be scared. It was just one of those things where like, yeah, people might be <laughs> listening in. Mm-hmm. In terms of the device listening in, I mean, I think that there are legitimate privacy concerns listening to students, you know, more in like the sci-fi crime, you know, like conspiracy theorist thing where uh, I was reading an article the other day where it was talking about building a voice profile because it listens to your children and it's able to pick up on cadence and you know different vocal uh <laughs> you know the way the way people talk and you know that's a little terrifying <laughs> yeah. but i you know how is that any different from a chromebook that has access to you know your your microphone or kids doing webcam projects or you know like other things where they're accessing those types of devices i think as time goes on we'll become a society that is probably a little more relaxed with it the pendulum usually swings really far one way and then really far the other way and then lands in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, right now we're towards, I think, swinging back towards the security and the privacy. And I think that, you know, there will be a, a reversal of that to some extent. And, and classroom, you know, listen, there are, there are people that are building uh, protocols to, to sit on top of, of these devices that basically are intended to be in, used in the classroom and kind of try to tackle that privacy concern. So stuff like Ask My Class, which is a programmable series of prompts with different questions and timers and translation information and you know a, a lot of what what classroom teachers would use these devices for that's being built into the classroom and built as such so i think that's going to help <laughs> make these things a little bit more pervasive and again having them in your homes helps usher in these things into the classroom because the fact that you know i, I don't know how much, what the percentage of teachers are but a lot of teachers i know have at least one of these devices and, um, you know, I think you get comfortable with something sitting in your kitchen or your living room or your bedroom or whatever. And, you know, you, you could see that usefulness lead into the classroom. And I think that that's kind of the key is that the use of the tool will have to outweigh the concerns we have around it. I think that the same is true. If you look at Facebook right now, you know, a lot of people are concerned and angered by Facebook's lack of privacy and their questionable social ethics in terms of how they market and sell information and, and, you know, promote different types of information, whether it be hate speech or fake news or whatever. And yet a lot of people, you know, there are some that took a stand and left, but a lot of people are like, well, you know, posting my pictures of my kids or reading up on my favorite, you know, whatever it is, hobby or or movie or, or whatever it is outweighs that. Right. And I think that's kind of where we are with this burgeoning technology. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely correct. And, you know, yeah, people may be, you know, frustrated about Facebook, but also like I get to see all my friends' updates on there. So, you know, it's really not all that bad. And, you know, I think that one of the one of the areas where where I would personally have concerns is with my students' information being out there somewhere in the public domain that I didn't really want that yep. to be the case. Now, 
of course I'm a dad who, you know, takes pictures of my kids and posts them on the internet and stuff. So mm-hmm. I need to be cautious about how I'm, how I'm phrasing that. But like, for me to do that is one thing for the school to do that is another thing. And, and so being able to, to balance that, I think is important. And, you know, I don't have the answers to that just yet, but I see some real benefits. You know, we had a, a device for a while and then I stopped using it. And then my kids, well, a couple of my kids, teachers got them in their classroom And so then when I brought the device back out to use it again later, my son already had this familiarity with it and this skill set with it that I didn't ever teach him. But he was actually telling me things that I could do with it, which I thought was great because he's only nine. And he was like, oh, yeah, dad, you can do this and that. And and it's really cool in that regard. And at some point, they're going to become more advanced right now. They are basically, you know, just skip logic of is this happening? Yes or no. And then it moves on to the next thing. And it's not right. It's not like it's, you know, sensing a need from me and then, and then fulfilling that. How do you think the future of that is going to come to pass, especially in the classroom with multiple users of one device? Yeah. And I I think, you know, taking AI a little bit more broad right now. So I I definitely don't see a one-to-one classroom, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, A-L-E-X-A, but, but listen, I mean, we we live in a world where if you have a, an Apple watch or a smartwatch of other kinds, like you likely have, an assistant of some sort, whether it be Google or Bixby or Siri or whoever, accessible at your wrist. And again, I'm not proposing that that's how children will be in five years, and I'm not proposing that's how they should be. But I do think that taking the technology of that part of it aside, you know, we, we've had a lot of talk about personalized learning. We've had a lot of talk about you know AI in terms of, of helping kids learn. I want to look at it from a slightly different vantage point and look at it from like these chatbots. I don't know if you've had experience like working yeah. with. Yeah, it's it's phenomenally terrifying, amazing <laughs> to mm-hmm. there. I've had really successful interactions with a robot, you know, and the joke is, you know, people are like, well, that's so weird. And it's like, no, think about it. You know, we were, we were doing this with movie phone on the telephone 25 years ago. Sure. And, and I think for kids to be able to ask a question and I think taking it, you know, slightly out of the academic space, if you look at it from like a mental health space, like there's a lot of concern right now about you know just students uh warning signs in terms of their behavior online what if there was you know interventions that occurred based on either computer behavior or the you know reverse of that is what if students had the ability to just ping a bot and and begin a conversation that could be helpful to them so they didn't feel judged it was a robot but at the same point it was able to kind of lead them to to help and that might be weird for people to hear but i think that that's you know, we're becoming, or my kids are very comfortable with robots, <laughs> very comfortable. And I think that the generation that will follow them will be even more so. It's just going to be commonplace. And we see it as these literally are assistants. And and I think that there's a great benefit there, whether it be based on like what I'm interested in learning and it kind of serves me up more complicated information or it serves me up, um, you know, whatever it is that, that will challenge me next or, or provide insight into whatever it is I'm learning, or, you know, it provides help in another way. So I, I think that it's going to be a very interesting time to kind of use these types of technologies, whether it be those chatbots or whether it be an actual, you know, voice assistant that, that is housed in the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think also about the idea of kids programming chatbots or AI and, and them mm-hmm. creating the content that goes behind it. And we uh, created a chatbot with a company to teach students about Native Alaskan um, history 
and heritage oh, wow. in a in a way that was uh, it was a little bit different. And I should probably connect you to uh, Peter Lasowski, who who's doing a lot of this work in education, doing great things because it it what we realized in making it was that our depth of knowledge had to be so deep to be able to answer every response that a kid could give. And so what I find fascinating about this is that when you're creating the back end stuff, not the actual programming, but just the content and the program is a whole different language, right? Yep. Just the content. You have to have so many different responses and know so much about a topic to be able to actually do that effectively because it it's really easy to get lost and to think, oh my gosh, there's so much here. You know, you could to teach about one Athabascan aspect of their culture, you know, it could take 60 different questions with paragraph long answers just for you to get to, you know, what they eat when it's wintertime, you know, in the interior of Alaska. And so there's so much depth that goes into that. I think personally that that is the real advantage of having kids learn how to program this stuff, that the, their content knowledge has to be so deep that, you know, we talk about like meeting standards. They're just going to blow those out of the water because we're not even thinking deep enough for them to be able to to do that. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, I totally I agree on on so many different fronts. And you know, I'll just I'll bring it into to breakout for two seconds. But we we have on our site we have a game builder, um, and the idea is that students can make their own games. And you know, the games are the same simple inputs that you would have on any of our locks. So it's, you know, directions and, and uh, letters and whatnot. And what makes me so excited about that is that basically the students have to know, you know, they have to know not only the content, but they have to know enough content to make it engaging and to have something that their peers would want to play or that their teachers would see value. It's not just a multiple choice type of experience. And, you know, for my own kids, when they get passionate about something, they learn, you know, 10 times more than what was asked of them. And sometimes that learning continues for years. Yes, a lot, some of that is based on self-interest, and you know they just identify with a topic. Like my son is obsessed with like mythology and different things, and he's been for years studying it. And uh, it's above and beyond what you would do if you were answering three questions on the back of a worksheet, you know, or studying for an exam, which was finite. I think that you know when you look at the possibilities for kids to build things that they can interact with, or that others will interact with, and I think that that's key also is like. They love the idea that they're sharing it with other people and that they can you know, get feedback from others. There's purpose there. And I think that that driven purpose is what builds kind of, um, you know, lets them tap into that passion to keep going and go way beyond the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, uh, this ties in great with, I have this uh, partnership with ASCD where I do a newsletter about student-driven learning. And this is, you know, the thing that we talk about that if you have, you know, state standards for third graders for reading or writing or whatever, you can design a curriculum to help kids get to that point. But if on the other hand, you have a topic or a project that they're interested in, that they have choice and voice in, then they're going to go way past those third grade standards, even in third grade, even in first grade, even in kindergarten, and certainly in the higher grades as well. Because they care about it, they put the effort in, they want to do it. And, you know, you may not get the exact same path to get to those standards, but you're going to blow past them almost every single time. And I personally haven't seen a situation where you give kids that opportunity and they care about something and they don't learn way more than we could have ever expected them to in a traditional setting, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I love that open endedness. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest problem with assignments is that. 
most of the assignments that my my own kids get, most of the assignments that you know I gave very very early on in teaching, and I, and I was lucky enough to be able to see it and change it, is assignments that were that were very linear. You know, you you're expected to do this, and this is what I want, and I want thirty of the same, and giving them that open endedness so that they can kind of bring their own learning and understanding to it. And it, I think for teachers, the biggest thing is like it's hard to grade that. It's hard to assess what's been done and how well it's been done. But I think that there's, you know, as we look at learning uh, as more than kind of just a assessment, and we look at it as more than just, you know, kind of work produced, you know, in in a way that you could easily judge it. I think we're going to see kids really tapping into kind of that, that passion and, and building stuff, not only that that's meaningful, but, but stuff that they, that challenges them and, and that they are able to kind of really, you know, tap into some new, new territories. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I see the those kinds of things happening all the time when we give kids choice and voice. And I think if we, you know, tie this into AI where they are creating something, you know, you could teach the kid a skill to create a chatbot and they could do it on any topic, right? And so yep. so you you spend your time in class teaching the top the skill of creating a chatbot because that probably needs a little bit more direct instruction. And then you say, create about whatever you want. And then the grading process is, can I get through that? Or can your peers get through that? And, you know, the content standards will, you know, be exceeded very easily. And the programming skills will show themselves very quickly if you were able to, you know, have their answers, you know, move you along the path. And, you know, just changing, reframing how we think about education just in that little bit really opens up the opportunity for incredible depth and complexity that we just typically don't see in traditional schools. So, so anyway, this, this has been a great conversation and I uh, look forward to meeting you at FETC and uh, the, yeah, likewise. the last question that I have is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Oh, you know, I, I think one thing that, that a leader can do and that, that, I respect deeply in leaders uh, that that do this is having a conversation with their stakeholders. And again, you know, oftentimes principals will talk to the the staff. I, I love when principals have meaningful conversations with with a student. So if it was me, I would take a a student or or a small group of students. If you don't have a student advisory group, but you know, create one and ask a few questions about things that are going on, changes that you're pursuing, uh, you know. Uh, willing to make or wanting to make or presuming need to be fixed and kind of get a, get a voice from a stakeholder that, that will affect the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great suggestion. All right. Just a reminder, you can follow Adam Bellow on Twitter at Adam Bellow or go to his website, adambello.com. And of course, check out Breakout EDU at breakoutedu.com or .org. I don't remember now. Uh, .com. .com. That's what I thought. All right. Breakoutedu.com. <laughs> And thanks again, Adam, so much for being part of Transformative Principle. Thanks so much, Jethro. Talk to you soon.